In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome into a brand new edition of Franchise Players, fresh off of a turkey holiday weekend. Desmond Johnson in the house here with you, WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 980 AM. Catch us live in the Triad every Friday afternoon. Uh, if you miss it there, you can catch it in podcast form on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio Podcast Network or at the Tobacco Road Sports Radio YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Loaded show for you today. David Glenn in the house with us. Going to kick it off the sports buffet. We got almost too much stuff to get to uh, with everything going on. Um, bowl season about to start in college football, uh, college basketball stuff, ACC, SEC challenge. We got all that going on. Got a special surprise guest in segment two. So you definitely want to stick around for that as we'll talk Carolina Panther coaching possibilities and then we'll have the host from the cat cave in the house as well from the keep pounding podcast network they'll talk about what's next for the panthers for the next six weeks this season uh as turmoil and uh chaos has reigned supreme in charlotte but bringing in david glenn from the north carolina sports network uh definitely go check them out over on the youtube channel dg brother what's up man what's going on i'm doing great dads it's fun to be with you man it's it is crazy though panthers looking for a coach duke is looking for a football coach College basketball is heating up. Guys are entering the transfer portal outbound and inbound, like with each passing minute. Yeah. During our conversation, an ACC school where we'll either add or subtract some star player. That's how crazy it is right now. I've got a checklist. I always have a checklist for Sports Buffet. And I was like, okay, well, let me make sure I write all this stuff down so I don't forget anything and by the time i was done i was like man this is <laughs> a lot of stuff going on right now so let's just dive right into it first things first what in the world is aaron Rodgers doing like what is he doing it's been 77 days since he hurt since he tore his achilles and the jets this week uh basically have said he's okay to practice a little bit um what, what's going on here like <laughs> first of all how is this even possible and second of all is this how does this benefit the jets for Rodgers to be hanging around yeah, to me, Aaron Rodgers has said enough reckless things over the years that I don't even believe him when he shares his own medical information. Right Now, if, if a doctor or a team official certifies that something is true, I would probably believe that. But Aaron Rodgers has become a little bit of a freak in the, in the social forum. So until I hear from an authority that it was actually the injury he said it was, and he's actually on the timetable he says that he is. I know he's been cleared for practice. It doesn't make sense to me that he would return at a time that the Jets would either be barely hanging by a thread as a playoff contender. I mean, you know, only technically still alive. None of that makes sense <laughs> for any starting quarterback, much less a guy who's 40 years old. Now, if it's all legitimate, and he is the fastest recovery that we know of in the history of professional sports from all such time. a serious injury. Yeah. All credit to him and his superhero-like healing powers. <laughs> I mean, I, I will, I will bow to you know the, the throne of Aaron Rodgers if it's all legitimate. But I, I think the guy, while an amazing quarterback, 
it has some screws loops upstairs at this stage of his career. And that's why I just, I don't take his word at face value anymore. You know, it's crazy because people are out there when they saw that he was back. The first thing I saw online really was people going, well, we don't believe he actually tore it in the first place. And I'm like, well, the, the team <laughs> had to put out that he tore it. Like the team is not going to lie on his behalf just to boost his ego or whatever. Like we all saw it. <laughs> we saw it pop on, on that. Oh, it was nasty. Whatever it was, was, whatever was ugly. It's the, <laughs> it's the details where I'm not sure what to believe. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and really, if it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, nobody would care because the Jets are not a good team. He's just a freakishly productive veteran quarterback who has done amazing things on the field and some bizarre things off the field. And I think it'd be fun if he does come back. But I, the last thing I would want to see for him is to come back too early on an unnecessary setting and maybe hurt himself again. If, if you hurt yourself again at 40 years old, we might never see you on the playing field uh, as an official NFL player. Especially behind that Jets offensive line. I was joking yeah. with Jonathan Stewart earlier in the week where he was saying, you know, the Jets are worse than the Panthers in some things. And I was like, like what? <laughs> and he was <laughs> like, well, well, for starters, our offensive line may be worse than ours, which is hard to fathom, but they're third in the league and sacks allowed. I don't know if you put uh, 11 months removed <laughs> from uh, from or from surgery or whatever, Aaron Rodgers, uh, 80 days removed or whatever it is, behind that offensive line, four and seven in the AFC with six weeks to go, like, just just rest up and be super ready for next year. Like I, I don't understand the logic of trying to come back this year if he's even still trying to do that. But uh, let's let's go ahead and hit the elephant in the room: the Carolina Panthers. Overall thoughts on the Panther situation? A lot of stuff went down this week. Frank Wright fired midseason. Um, Chris Tabor is the new interim head coach. Jim Caldwell comes down from the tower to help call plays with Thomas Brown. Um, they let Deuce Staley go, the running back coach, and Josh McCown, the quarterback coach. What is your overall thought? on the Panthers and that David Tepper press conference from uh, Tuesday that kind of felt like he was talking down to us peasants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David Tepper is not a genius in the forum of the social marketplace, the way he is a genius in some areas of the business world, clearly. I mean, the guy's worth 20 plus billion dollars. He's not just a rich owner. He's one of the wealthiest owners in the history of American sports. So he's done a lot of things right in a different context, but he's been a train wreck as an owner. That's not an exaggeration, right? The Carolina Panthers were an intriguing, competitive, often playoff franchise before he bought the team from Jerry Richardson, and they have been nothing but a loser since David Tepper bought the team. So, so he has to carry that weight. And I don't think his personality would deny that all those criticisms are true. The press conference to me was bizarre because I have – I don't respect a whole lot of people in the media the way I respect Scott Fowler of the Charlotte yeah. Observer. Yeah. He, he is up there in my top echelon as somebody who is occasionally critical of other media members that I think are unprofessional or unobjective or otherwise inappropriate. Scott's the opposite of those things. So the fact that this mega billionaire had a critical article written about him and then wouldn't take – a question from one of the most qualified people in the room, that's just childish and petty and embarrassing and ridiculous. Um, now, when it comes to the decision that, that was made, there's a famous historical setting, I, saying, I can't remember if it was, you know, Plato or Socrates or somebody like that, but it's that what, that what you know must be done eventually ought be done immediately. I like that. And I, I, what that points to is once it's in your heart that it has to be done, 
throw the rest out the window. What is the world going to think? What is the NFL going to think? You know, is the timing right? If you know Frank Reich is not the guy, if you have settled on that, I know it's painful and embarrassing to do it mid-year again. I mean, he did it mid-year to Ron Rivera, and he did it mid-year to Matt Rule. All that's <laughs> embarrassing. And some wonder, will it affect the caliber of candidate who's interested in working for David Tepper, given those three mid-season dismissals? Now, we all know if the money is large enough, many candidates will say, well, yeah, I'll that's kind of it. a tough I'll boss to work for, but I'll take it anyway. <laughs> I'll do it, yeah. Yeah, so – where does he go from here? I don't know. I mean, it's it's there's an advantage to being the team on the market early, right? Rather than that, you know, Black Monday that they have in the NFL where several teams are searching for a coach at the same time. I thought he was going to make it to there. I really did after last week. But then when it happened, I was like, yeah, this feels right. This, you this you get right. wheels turning. You get your internal wheels turning on who, you know, your pecking order of targets. But you also get other people's wheels turning. Even if they're trying to win games for some other NFL franchise, they get to digest, even if it's not official contact the way the rules work, they get to digest whether they're interested or not so that the Canes can at least move this – I mean, the, the uh, Panthers can move this process along. So I don't know where they're going to go. I, I assume it's going to be another offensive-minded person, or if it's not that, whoever it is better bring an offensive-minded person who likes Bryce Young as a quarterback – because if the Panthers don't, if the Panthers have backed off the idea that Bryce Young is their guy, you know, the more they see him fail and the more they see CJ Stroud and other young guys thrive, that is an even bigger decision, right? Because your next choice as a head coach has to have an opinion, good, bad, or middling, about Bryce Young. And if the guy's a Bryce Young skeptic, he should not be your next head coach if you think Bryce Young is still your guy. It's a mess, man. Oh, man. It's a mess. And I'm the Panthers are down there with the Jets is the worst winning percentage in the NFL since Dave Tepper. Uh, it would not surprise me in the next yeah. 12 months if uh, we probably won't hear we probably won't hear it from him because he's too nice of a guy. But it would not surprise me in the next 12 months if we start getting leaks that Bryce Young wants to be traded like out of Carolina. Um, and that might be something Carolina entertains, depending on what happens next. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to go through. Uh, what's called common sense, where we're going to go through literally a, a list of uh, potential candidates that are out there that have been rumored or guys that Carolina fans want and et cetera, et cetera. So we'll get to that. Quick hits here. Well, I've got David Glenn with us here in the Sports Buffet. Uh, follow him on uh, Twitter slash X at David Glenn Show, uh, part of the North Carolina Sports Network. Um, Duke's Mike Elko decided to leave for Texas A&M. I do need to say to Duke fans, I know Duke fans aren't very fond of me because they know I'm not a big fan of Duke fans, but <laughs> I got to say this one thing. Mike Elko never said he was staying at Duke. He said he liked it at Duke. He said that he, the situation was great, yada, 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 but never once in that little soundbite that everyone keeps going back to you saying, oh, he lied to us, he lied to us. He never said, I'm not leaving, I'm staying at Duke. It was never definitive. I think all the Duke fans kind of knew that if A&M came with the money, he was probably going to go. It's a it's a bigger position, it's a bigger job than the SEC. Uh, but then Riley Leonard transfers out and goes to the portal <laughs> a couple days later. Uh, Notre Dame is the rumored destination for him. So Notre Dame out here plucking quarterbacks from uh, the ACC Big Four over the past couple of years, if that happens to be true. Is the portal out of control? Um, and did Elko make the right choice? The portal is out of control. I I'm actually, just before I jumped on with you, I was compiling the – 
the transfer portal list for ACC schools, and there's more than 50 players on it already. Outgoing, it hasn't even opened. UNC, for example, has an incoming quarterback signed for the post Drake May era, assuming he jumps to the NFL as we all expect him to do this year. Um, it is out of control, but remember, the NCAA adopted the portal concept five years ago. Maybe more importantly, Des, they adopted the immediately eligible transfer rule two years ago. Yeah. Remember, you used to have to sit out a year, and that mm -hmm. was the biggest deterrent. Even for guys who thought they might want to transfer, they're competitive young people. They don't want to spend that one year at their new school, not allowed to play in games. When, once two years ago, that was lifted, at least for first-time transfers and for graduate transfers. Well, then the floodgates were open at that point. And, and Des, this weekend, the two schools that were the most aggressive in the transfer portal in the ACC and the sport of football are playing for the ACC title. Huh. If you look at the starting lineups of the Florida State Seminoles and the Louisville Cardinals, I'm not exaggerating when I say a majority of their best players, not some, not a few, not a handful of key guys, a majority of their best players, 10 of Florida State's 11 starters on offense for most of the year are major college transfers. Wow. All but one. Wow. Anyway, so yeah, it's out of control, but that's we knew this was coming. The Mike Elko stuff is fascinating because I, it sounds like I, I share your views on the bigger picture here. I actually think Duke fans, I've heard them complain about the details of Mike Elko's exit, as you just described. Almost none of the Duke fans are mad that a guy making $3 million plus leaves for a job at Texas A&M where he's making $7 million a year plus incentives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they know there have been years at Duke recently, Des, where the average attendance was less than 20,000. Not this year, not last year, but I think it was three years ago. Less than 20, 20,000. At Texas A&M, they average almost 100,000 per Different game, world. sometimes yeah. even in bad years or mediocre years. So, of course, competitive people – want to be paid well for working their tails off, and they want to be on the biggest stages. Whatever you think of the Texas A&M job, they are in the top football conference, the Southeastern Conference. They have a huge budget. They have a huge stadium. They have lots of money to throw around for assistant coaches, recruiting budget, et cetera. The details you mentioned, I'm glad you brought it up because anybody who interprets, I am committed to Duke, that's the phrase that they kind of clung to. Right. If you, if you in 2023, <laughs> There is a minority, and I mean a tiny percentage of coaches, that really are not going anywhere else. Maybe they're too old to jump to another job. Maybe they're at their alma mater and they would never leave. Other than those very rare, never. I'm a lifer here, people. The other 90-whatever percent, yes, they would leave your school under certain circumstances, oh, period. Yeah. Even if they say my wife and family are happy here. Even if they say I'm working my tail off to make this the best program we can be. Even if they say all of those things. They actually mean those things. Mike Elko was working his tail off for the Duke Blue Devils. He put them back on the map in many ways, right? Yeah, a lot of so in-state recruits. They're, yeah. clinging, they're clinging to the phrase, I'm committed to Duke. You know how I interpret that? I'm committed to emptying the effort bucket to make Duke football great as long as I'm here. It's almost right. like the statement should come with an asterisk. I'm going to say all these positive things, but unless you're really naive and gullible, you realize that there's probably another job out there. Oh, by the way, and Mike Elko would never say this because it would be rude, but I'll say it. Nine of my 10 predecessors left Duke because they got their asses fired. 
That's, that's why they left. <laughs> that's facts. Right? Steve Spurrier's Spurrier the one guy that got to leave on his own terms, and he went to his alma mater, Florida. All the rest, David Cutcliffe stayed at Duke the way the fans wanted him to. And how was he rewarded? By when he stopped winning, he got fired. Yeah, that's how coaches <laughs> think. They have to think that way. So, um, I mean, it, fans have to grow up a little bit when it comes to these things. Uh, real quick, uh, I can't skip over the ACC SEC challenge uh, from Wednesday night. Duke falls on the road, a true road game to Arkansas. Um, Carolina, 17th ranked Carolina, defeated 10th ranked Tennessee 100 to 91 and was actually up by 23 at some points in the first half. Dropped 61 points on Tennessee's defense in the first half of that game and then held off a furious rally. Uh, Dalton Neck, I think I pronounced yeah. his last name right, had 37 before he sprained his ankle. Is Duke overrated and is UNC underrated? At this moment, uh, maybe in both cases, but here, here's my bottom line. And I'll try to be quick. Carolina's offense works infinitely better when a true point guard is running the show. Elliot Cadeau had double digit assists against no turnovers, Tennessee. no turnovers. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, RJ Davis, Caleb Love, and their backups combined often didn't have 10 or more assists in a single game. Elliot Cadeau, a true freshman, just had it by himself. Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer, oh, is man. an alpha male yeah. in a way that the heels have lacked. He is unafraid of you, me, the refs, the environment, the opposing team, the crowd. He is unafraid. He is in your face, and he is a professional prospect. Duke, I still think, is plenty talented, and over time is going to be plenty good. But other than Jeremy Roach, the senior guard, and Kyle Filipowski, the sophomore big man, who are very proven, outstanding players – the rest of those guys haven't grown up enough yet to go into a hostile, loud environment like that one at Arkansas and come and they, out with a win. They rarely do that anyway in November. Duke rarely True. goes out of Cameron unless they it's Chicago, not. New York, or New Jersey. Yeah, so bold, bold of John Shire to do what Coach K often did not do. Yeah, um, but you came away with a loss. Now I don't think it's panic button time. I don't. I don't know about the overrated question because do I think Duke is the best team in the ACC? I do. Do I think they're one of the 10 best in the country right now? I do not. Um, and do I think other ACC teams can catch the Devils or beat the Devils on a given night? Yeah, the Heels could, Miami could, Virginia could, maybe even others. Um, I think both Duke and Carolina are pretty darn good. It, they just both need time to grow. Carolina, and I'm not afraid to say this. I've been a Carolina fan my entire life. I'm 45 years old. This Carolina team feels like a Dean Smith roster, like the way it's built. Like it's deep. It's like nine, 10, 11 guys. He's got Hubert. Hubert literally took a Dean Smith blueprint to me and like went out and went to the portal and was like, okay, I need that, that small forward, that James Worthy type that can drive, it can post on you, but can shoot threes and stuff. And he found Harrison Ingram, who might be the best transfer in the country right now <laughs> compared to what the way he's been playing. I need guys that are stretched that can shoot threes and can run the floor. Cormac Ryan, nobody saw this yes. coming in from this kid. I mean, they're just playing at a different level, and it's freed up R.J. Davis. He scored 27, I think, on Wednesday. I think he scored 30 the night before, or the game before against Arkansas. It just it's freeing them up. I'm curious to see what they do the rest of the year. I don't want to jump ahead, but the, it, it eerily reminds me of those mid late 80s Carolina teams that Dean had that were just you know the King Rice, Rick Fox squads like the J.R. Reed type. J.R. Reed reminds me. Harrison Ingram reminds me of J.R. Reed. I covered those teams. You're wise beyond your years to say that observation because what this is is a Dean Smith blueprint intertwined with 
modern college basketball rules, right? Yes. Like you mm -hmm. can't have immediately eligible Cormac Ryan of Notre Dame under the old rules. You can't have immediately eligible Harrison Ingram. Um, but you have that combination. Those guys are long arm defenders. They're unafraid. Cormac Ryan's been around the block, right? This is his last year. This is an old team. He's, yeah. he's not going to care if he's hurt and he's got to come off the bench when he's done, you know, when he's healthy. There's none of that nonsense in the background, right? The Heels had a lot of nonsense in the background last season. That's part of what derailed their preseason number one campaign. Uh, I think this is a very promising group because now that they've settled into a rotation, they got down low. Ingram, RJ on the wing is a lot better than when RJ has to run the show all the time. Mm -hmm. Elliot Cadeau, I think, is a fantastic, amazing, visionary passer. Uh, we mentioned Ingram and Ryan. Jalen Washington is coming along. Um, even guys like Seth Trimble that I wasn't sure would become uh, important the the players. Yeah, they're, they're, the they're just valuable off-the-bench guys who don't sulk, or they don't seem to anyway, if their minutes are limited in one game, but they have a bigger role in the next game. Those chemistry issues were a train wreck for the heels a couple of times in recent years. Yeah. They, they seem to be very positive, and of course, winning helps them stay positive. We'll see Carolina and Duke uh, open ACC play Saturday. Um, Carolina's got Florida State. Uh, I can't remember who Duke has. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they both play Saturday, so check your local, local listings, ACC Network, uh, for those games on Saturday. We're in that weird fun part of the calendar where everything kind of converges on top of each other from college basketball to college football and NFL, NBA, everything else. So it's a good time to be a sports fan. Uh, make sure you follow DG on Twitter at David Glenn show. Go check out his work. Uh, the, the newly revamped David Glenn show on the North Carolina sports network. Appreciate you being on man. We'll see you in a couple weeks. It's Duke at Georgia tech and stage to Boston college. So uh, yeah, just one postscript there. Always good to be with you, Des. Thanks for having me. Coming up, I got a surprise special guest. They're going to help me figure out, does it make sense or it doesn't make sense? Different coaching candidates for the Carolina Panthers coming up next here on Franchise Players, WWBG, 1470 AM. Franchise players are often referred to as the face of the franchise. Welcome back in the franchise players here on WWBG 1470 AM and WTOB 980 AM. Of course, you can catch us on the Tobacco Road Sports Radio Podcast Network and the Tobacco Road YouTube channel. Uh, I guess hell froze over because uh, something that a lot of people in the tribe probably thought they never were going to see. It's actually going down in the house. Host of The Drive with Josh Graham, 3 to 6 p.m. Monday through Fridays on WSJS. It's Josh Graham. Mr. Graham, what's up, man? I thought you were going to say, like, Elliot Cadeau started a basketball game for Carolina. <laughs> That's something that I'm just yeah. kidding. It's good that we're able to do this, man. Good to see you, Des. Man, I'm I'm feeling good. My Carolina Tar Heels doing their thing. Uh, I, we just had David Glenn on right before you, and I mentioned to him that they look like a Dean Smith Carolina team to me. The way the roster is built, like, it's 9-10 it's deep. He's got multiple point guards that can run. Elliot Cadeau had like double digit assists the other night with no turnovers. Like we haven't seen that in three years from Carolina. Oh, really? We just haven't seen like a couple nights ago when they played. It just it was one of those things. Des they they they're pushing the pace and they got draft picks on this team. Like off the top of your head, do you know the last time Carolina had a player drafted? <sighs> um, either Cole Anthony or 
Dayron Sharp. Yeah, yeah. Dayron Sharp in 2021. The last wow. two years, they haven't had a draft pick. This year, it looks like they have multiple draft picks. That hasn't happened in five years almost. And last, you know, the, the win against Tennessee, that was the first win that North Carolina had, a non-conference top 10 win since Gonzaga, December the 15th in 2018. So, yeah, you should feel really good about your Tar Heels. I, I, I was not expecting Cormac Ryan to look like this. I was not expect. I was definitely not expecting Harrison Ingram to look like this uh, coming in. I was not expecting them up by twenty three on Tennessee in the first half, dropping sixty one. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm here for it because all of my other teams suck right now, and <laughs> I need a boost. Because Carolina, the Tar Heels are the only ones. I want to talk about uh, these Panthers, and I, I listened to the drive. Uh, you know we. We've we've talked often. I've just called the drive last week, if I'm not mistaken. We've talked about uh, the situation in Carolina. I wanted to do common sense with you. It's a uh, thing we do here, where basically I'm gonna I've I've compiled eight different potential either candidates, rumored candidates, or guys that the fans want. So I've compiled this list of eight uh, eight coaches that I want you to basically describe. Does it make sense for Carolina to pursue? Or that doesn't make any sense at all. And then just, you know, quick explanation as to why. Um, let's just start with the very, very top. Former Panther quarterback Cam Newton came out with this suggestion, uh, I think like yesterday or day before. New England head coach and do-all front office man Bill Belichick. Does it, it make does. sense or does it not make sense? It makes more sense than people might think. Because of how, how much the Patriots have struggled this year and the fact that he's 72 years old or will be 72 next season. You, there aren't going to be a lot of NFL teams lining up to give this man full control of their football operation, similar to what David Tepper did when he brought Matt Rule in. I, I feel like Carolina would be a team to do that. I think Tepper, for the appeal of bringing in Belichick and the credibility that comes along with that, wouldn't mind giving that type of control away, assuming his time in New England's done and there's the appeal on the Belichick end of doing it on your own, like Cam Newton mentioned on the podcast. And in addition to that, he, you know, he he's a guy who cares about his legacy. Like everybody pins him as being this guy that doesn't really talk much. He's he's just, you know, a curmudgeon with the media. And that's true. But when you get him to open up about the history of football and he talks about what some of these records and these milestones mean, like you're talking about 16 wins away from the career wins mark in the NFL. He's going to want to achieve that. And if that's not going to happen in Foxborough, it's probably going to happen somewhere else. He has a tight relationship with Nick Saban. Um, his offensive coordinator in New England was, you know, I have former head coach and Bill O'Brien, who who is Bryce Young's coordinator at Alabama. There are a lot of things that connect this together. The appeal of coaching Bryce, probably getting more control than you would at some of the openings across the NFL. And then Tepper, of course, getting a guy that he can trust to know Bryce is going to be well surrounded with a good quality coaching staff. And I mean, it's a, he always looks to make the splashy higher. What's splashier than Belichick? The only, I got, oh man, I only have two, I only have two concerns with that. A is his age. Um, Tepper comments, although that was word salad the other day with Tepper at the press conference, but him talking about he wants, he would like to hire a guy that he could have for 20, 30 years. <laughs> I don't think that's Belichick, but. Um, another thing too, the Panther fan base hates Bill Belichick. Like we kind of have a Coach K relationship, Carolina type thing with Belichick. Like I don't know if the fan base would be a. Ugh, I, I'm trying to picture that, <laughs> like the the press conference. The age, Belichick in. I, I'll dispel the age one and saying that, hey, he he's going to stick around until he at least breaks that record, and if he does that in two years, 
then winning 16 games in a two-year stretch oh, a lot better great. than what happened before. And <laughs> I, think, I, I think, I mean, it's a year-to-year league, the NFL. So if you get him for two to three years and he puts you in the right direction versus what the last five years have been, I'm not worried about the age piece at all. All right, that's a good segue into uh, option number two, one that I've seen starting to pop up now. Alabama head coach Nick Saban, who's actually older than Bill Belichick, if I'm not mistaken. No. Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for for uh Saban. I don't I don't I I think he's content at Alabama. He's built the thing. He is the oldest coach, or actually the second oldest coach in FBS football behind Mac Brown by about two months. Um, so I I think he's set. I don't think he's a guy that I mean, he's had enough success. I don't think he would want to leave that, especially at the age he's at, even though Belichick's pretty much at the same age. Things have gone have soured in Foxborough in a way that they're not souring in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, Alabama might be in the football playoff by the time we get to this mm. point next week. So yeah, um, that's uh, yeah, I can't see Saban coming back to the NFL. Period. Um, he seems like he's gonna Alabama's his last stop, I would think. So the ones that are out there asking for Alabama Nick Saban to come in and interview, just, nah, that doesn't make any sense. Um, Josh Graham with us here, host of the Drive with Josh Graham, three to six p.m. on WSJS. Follow him on Twitter slash X at Josh Graham Show. I'm probably never going to really be comfortable calling it X. I'm still calling it Twitter. Yeah, I don't think anybody minds. Yeah, it's still Twitter.com. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I'm probably going to still continue to do it. Let me get into this, this pool of offensive coordinators that are floating around. Uh, the biggest one, um, Detroit Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, interviewed here once, I think, last year. Didn't do a second interview. I've seen it going around where, well, he declined a second interview with Carolina. He don't want to be here. He declined it with everyone. <laughs> he wanted to go back to Detroit and run it back one more time. He probably won't be able to do that again this time around. He's probably going to land somewhere. Does it make sense or that doesn't make any sense? Makes sense. It makes sense for the Panthers, but it doesn't. I don't know if it makes sense for um, for Ben Johnson just because he was not the flashy coordinator name a year ago. That was Shane Steichen who got the Colts job. Um, and there were a few others that got head coaching jobs. D'Amico Ryans, who ended up getting the Texans gig, and he's doing a great job down there in Houston. Those were the flashy guys a year ago. Ben Johnson's the flashy name now. And when you look at it, you're, you're, you're probably, there's some experts that are projecting, usually you have six to eight changes per hire or uh, per cycle in the yeah. NFL. Some are projecting there could be as many as nine. So when you're talking about that level of turnover this year, and almost certainly one of them being the Chargers opportunity where Justin Herbert is available to be coached and organizations that have had a lot more stability than the Panthers, like the Green Bay Packers maybe, like the New England Patriots, getting to be the first hire that a new owner makes if uh, Washington comes free as well. It just seems like there are too many options available for Ben Johnson to choose the Carolina Panthers out of those options. Uh, excellent points. Excellent points there. Uh, I wasn't really on the Ben Johnson train. Um, so if that happens, I don't know if I want them to go offensive coordinator again like this. Um, but we'll we'll get on that in just a second. Houston offensive coordinator Bobby Slowick. I didn't realize he's actually from the Shanahan tree, um, yeah. which is kind of something I wanted and thought we were kind of getting when we brought Thomas Brown in as offensive coordinator. Does that make sense or that doesn't make sense? Makes a ton of sense. This is the if you want to go the young, innovative, offensive mind route, the Panthers would love to hire Ben Johnson, but this is the next best choice because the Carolina Panthers are almost, I mean, they're dead last by a mile when it comes to pre-snap motion. And what you, the point you just hit about him being in the Shanahan tree should tell you that 
the Texans run a lot of pre-stat motion. And if you want to do pre-stat motion RPO with Bryce Young, well, Bobby Slowick's a good guy to bring in to do that. Also, there were reports, widely reported, in the spring that if the Texans had the number one pick, they would have taken Bryce Young. Demico right. Ryans is a defensive-minded head coach, so the most important hire he was going to make is the offensive guy. And if you were going to hire an offensive coordinator when you're a defensive-minded coach, odds are his opinion was going to be the most important in the room on what quarterback you take in that spot. That tells me that Bobby Slowick wanted the coach Bryce Young out of the two guys. So there might be an appeal there as well. He's a, There's an appeal for him to coach Bryce and also a system fit as well to try and juice up this offense that wasn't very creative under Frank Reich. You just got Bobby Slowick an asterisk beside his name because I'm literally looking through my list. Like I don't know for sure. I have one guy at the very end that I'm pretty much on, but I want to be convinced on some of these other ones. And you just convinced me on Bobby Slowick. Because the one thing to me is that they've got to want to know what to do with Bryce. Like they can't, you know, they can't just toss that to side and be like, eh, let's just start fresh. Like you gave up so much <laughs> to get to jump to Bryce Young. It has to work. So you've got to find somebody, whether it's an offensive minded head coach or for me, preferably a defensive minded head coach with an offensive kind of wonder kid at offensive coordinator that you'll have for two or three years to get Bryce going. If it's got to be offensive mind, I like Slowick more than Ben Johnson, uh, just from what you just said from coming from the Kyle Shanahan tree. And uh, I just saw a, a thing online with um, what the 49ers are doing in terms of like tight ends and like pre-snap motion and blocks and stuff. And it's just, they're running the same sets basically, but there's moving people around and it's just cool to watch. And we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that at all. Like we don't have hardly any pre-snap movement whatsoever. Commander's offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I've seen his name pop up now in both cycles here. Um, there's something's going on whenever he interviews for head coaching gigs because it's not just one place. It's like everywhere he goes to interview, he just never gets it. And I don't know if it's either, he's a bad interview or something about his personality. Or, I don't know what it is because he's got the resume. But would you bring him in to interview? Does that make sense or does that not make sense? Or, he was know? well. The reason he wasn't getting the head coaching jobs is because he wasn't calling the plays with Kansas City, and that largely was a problem. It's something that is a concern that a lot of people had. And uh, one year in Washington in which the head coach is probably going to get fired him being the offensive coordinator probably isn't enough of a sample to say for sure that Eric Bieniemy was the answer in Kansas City or is this innovative offensive mind that's worth surrounding everything around. I hope one day that it is for Eric Bieniemy, but I I don't think enough has changed from the Panthers interviewing him when they hired Matt Rule three years ago and not really considering him a, a, at all a year ago to think that, yep, that's a guy they're identifying to be a head coaching candidate this cycle. Let's stay in D.C. Commander's head coach Ron Rivera. Does that make sense? <laughs> or does that not make sense? No, that, that doesn't. I, I mean... I don't know if he's on your list later, but I, I'll put him in the same box of the Greg Olson category. Let's, let's I forgot uh, to put him on. Let's, here, let's get out of the nostalgia <laughs> here. Obviously, Ron would be a better coach than Greg Olson, but I think um, you leave that one in the past. You don't you don't pull a Hornets and and go back to the well and and hire the coach from five years ago. I've always said, um, and your producer Will Dalton will appreciate this, that there's like three moments on the timeline for the Panthers where if I could go back like with the Infinity Stones and have it like change it or whatever, 
one of them would be I probably would have gave Ron another year and let him try to rebuild the roster himself. He did, he earned that right. He he was a two-time coach of the year. He ran through like five quarterbacks that last year that he was here, it felt like. And then Tepper just dumps him in the middle of the season as if like all this is your fault. And now, in hindsight, looking at Tepper and how he kind of handles these situations, he probably should have gave Rivera another year. The Christian McCaffrey thing is another point on the timeline where I'm like, okay, that's where we were like panicking and <laughs> we just traded him off for no reason pretty much like we didn't even know what we were going to be and we traded him off for nothing and now he's an mvp candidate and well you know. i'll disagree for this i think you're right on the mccaffrey point but i think it's before they i don't think the regret is that they traded him off when they did the regret is that you didn't trade him off a year and a half before that when everybody left i the reason they did it was because they lost so many familiar names but you could have got peak value for him at that point and i don't think ron rivera would have wanted to have the redo on the infinity stone i think if you gave him the option hey would you like that one more year with the Panthers? no nope and and he should be thanking david tepper and to a degree because when he fired him when he did that's the reason he was allowed to get the washington commander's job like he's he said that that month away from football if he didn't have that decompression period, he would not have wanted to be considered for head coaching jobs. So the fact he was fired, and by the way, his last game was against Washington um, before he got fired. That's he, right. he probably would not have taken that job with Washington. So, And, and he's a tens of millions of dollars richer. <laughs> That's weird, too, because I, do, I I'm just now remembering that whole sequence was weird, the way they fired him, but they still let him say goodbye. You remember that? Like he had the little press conference. You never get a press conference when you when you get fired like that in the NFL. Yep. You let him say his thing, and he, you're right. He he got the opportunity to, to settle in there, and Marty Herney's over there with him now too in D.C. And um, But I don't know if Ron's going to make it past Black Monday or Bloody Monday uh, at the end of the year. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. 49ers defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes. Does that make sense? Does that not make sense? It makes sense, but is David Tepper going to be willing to do it? It does, because like if you just eliminate the past, which you can't do in his instance, but let's just say you do, 49ers have the number one defense in the NFL right now. Like, What if you just view it as hot defensive coordinator who has head coaching experience with the Cardinals and didn't get a real opportunity, Steve Wilkes, and you just eliminate the other stuff? I mean, the guy was... Here, when the Panthers went 15-1, and one, the guy last year obviously turned around this team. A lot of the personnel is still there. Um, if David Tepper's willing to swallow his pride, which I don't know if he's willing to do, um, I hope he, he is willing to do that, he should be a serious candidate for this job again. And I hear people say, oh, well, he wouldn't even take that phone call. Yeah, he would. Still the Panthers. That well, place means a lot to him. And he still wants to be a head coach. And he still... I mean, Charlotte is still his home, whether or not David Tepper owns the football team that happens to reside there. I, I I have less concern about Steve Wilkes being willing to listen to that call than I do confidence that David Tepper would go back to that well. I kind of look at, because I was like that at first with him. I'm like, why would I go back there? Like, you know, the way I was treated. But then I started looking at it like in terms of like boyfriend, girlfriend. Say like say like the 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 Carolina Panthers are the love of Steve Wilkes' life. And something happened. And it didn't work out. Uh, he asked him to marry him or whatever. And and the Panthers said no. Panthers move on. They're dating somebody else. He moves to the West Coast. Sees it all happening. It's kind of like the uh, I used to love her common song with hip hop. Anyway, like he's seeing all this happen. They break up. Would Steve Wilkes get back with that that woman that was the love of his life? Like that's basically the question you're asking. 
and I've heard Wilkes kind of say things and he hasn't said anything specifically about the Panthers. Uh, I think he said something like he's not looking to head coach right now or something like that, but that's word salad too. Like they're not looking right now because they're a defensive coordinator, but if someone offers him a head coaching job, they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, I do it. Especially if it's, you know, where he went to high school and grew up and everything else that went to the Super Bowl with went to the Super Bowl with greatest season in franchise history. Like, I mean, that would be the, the way for Tepper to pull the fans back to his side. I just don't know if <laughs> I don't know if Wilkes would want to do it or not. And that's kind of the one out there that, cause you still got to figure out what to do with Bryce young. If you bring in Wilkes, like what's his plan with him. So um, on the roster already, Panthers defensive coordinator is zero Evero. Does no. that make sense? Or does that not make sense? It doesn't. It, mm-hmm. He just, they're, they're going to, they're going to turn the page from this era of Panthers football. And a zero unfortunately up. is, a casualty of that. Because I actually like him. Uh. <laughs> I, I like him too, but it's you're you don't fire a coaching staff eleven games in if you intend to hire somebody who's already on that staff. And it's just they're gonna want it's pretty clear that he wants to rip the band-aid and do something new. And when you do that, you don't hire from within, which also eliminates Jim Caldwell and some of those other candidates that are yeah, it's crazy too because when they first put this together in the preseason, we were all looking at the staff. I looked at it and I was like, you know what? It almost looks like he has fail safes built in. Like, say this doesn't work. Okay, you've got two young candidates that were interviewing for head coaching jobs in this cycle, and Thomas Brown and and uh, Ijiro Ibero in your offensive and defensive coordinator positions. You've got Jim Caldwell here, Don Capers is here. You've got all this these dudes that everyone's saying are going to be future head coaches. And then you just follow it up and throw it away after 11 games. Now, granted, we saw the game, so we understand why. <laughs> but, like, still, it's kind of – it's just like, uh, Like, they're all going to probably be gone because whoever comes in is going to want their own staff. They're not going to keep Frank Reich's staff and just, like, hop in. So, yeah, I guess you're right. So, I'm just going to – It's more like quarterback when people have, oh, man, we got two, maybe three quarterbacks who can start for us. If you have two or three quarterbacks who can start for you, you don't have one. Yeah, if yeah. you have five head coaches on your team, you might not have one good one. And that – my man, I think that was the problem with the 2023 Carolina Panthers. Uh, they had too many coaches in the room at where there was no identity because of it. And uh, the proof's in the pudding when you watch it on the field. I saved the best for last. He's my favorite. He's the one. I've been doing podcasts on this subject for two years now. And he dude, actually even called in last year. Like, hey, what's going on? So heard you got a job down there. Michigan head, head coach Jim Harbaugh. Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? It makes sense for many of the same reasons we were just talking about with Belichick. Like there's this misconception that owners, you know, even the meddlesome ones or the hands-on ones that they want to be hands-on for the sake of being hands-on. But really, even when you think of the most hands-on owners there have ever been, Jerry Jones and Dan Schneider, even they've gone through phases where they've identified somebody that they respect enough their football resume that they were able to turn things over with no problem and a lot of control. You think of Dan Schneider with Joe Gibbs. You Mm -hmm. think of uh, Jerry Jones with Bill Parcells. Like being able to, hey, I respect Bill Parcells enough that he's going to have control of this operation. A year ago, I mean, Jonathan Jones reported it from CBS Sports that Jim Harbaugh inquired into the Panthers' job, not the other way around, and the Panthers didn't have a lot of interest because they just had the Matt Rule college experience where they gave a lot of power to Matt Rule, and they gave him player say, player personnel say, and all that. A year later, is David Tepper in a place now removed from that where he'd be willing to sacrifice that or give that to Jim Harbaugh? That remains to be seen, but that probably is what Jim Harbaugh is going to be asking for 
And if other openings, say the Chargers with Justin Herbert or some of these others, aren't willing to give that to the Panthers, but the Panthers are willing to give that to Harbaugh, that is something that should be seriously considered. I feel like it's us and the Bears. Like it's us and the Bears between because he's got history with the Bears, he played for them and all that. Good they stuff. that they, but they have that general manager that I don't think they're going to get rid of because he's done a really good job. A really good job. <laughs> I, if if the if it came down to the Panthers and the Bears, but the and, and both teams wanted Harbaugh, and the Panthers are offering player personnel say, then I, I think that he'd probably choose the Panthers, assuming that both those teams have that level of interest in Harbaugh. And, and here's one more thing that. There are NFL rules that go against every single candidate that you've talked about thus far to this point, short of a Giro Evero. Yeah, let me know. Right, are guys who are going to make the playoffs likely, assuming that the Texans make it with Bobby Slowick, which means there are rules against the Panthers having in-person interviews with every single candidate that you mentioned until the divisional round of the playoffs. The one guy that they can talk to unencumbered out of the guys that you've mentioned oh, I guess Saban too, but let's disregard him for a second, is right here with Jim Harbaugh. And I guess Belichick too, if he doesn't make the playoffs, obviously. So many of the candidates, Carolina won't have a chance to speak to until the second round of the playoffs. The fact that they've already moved off of the coach and they're one of two teams that have done that, them and the Raiders, if you want to get a head start on a candidate and start vetting Jim Harbaugh, no NFL rule stops you from doing that right now. I'm so glad you brought that up because the timing of this made me feel like, oh, Tepper already knows who he wants to hire. Like, like if he's doing it right now, he already knows who he wants to hire. And, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, my mind just went blank. Uh, the general manager, Scott Fitter, yeah, he's going to be there till, uh, that last Monday, uh, that black Monday, because you need somebody to run football operations for the most part. Uh, you know, transactions, things of that sort. And what I was mentioning before about the Brian Burns situation, I feel like he's still there kind of for that. But if that falls apart, that's going to be his lasting, impression on carolina he's not going to be here next year so for people worried about scott fitter why is he still here there's reasons for this is just the same reason why uh you know thomas brown's still here or the part of the coaching staff still here they still have to run a team <laughs> so like and you're just in, you're just moving up dan morgan would be doing the same thing so or or if you're hiring jim harbaugh or bill belichick to be the de facto general manager why does it really matter if scott fitterer's heel he, he could still exactly. have that position in the same way that Thomas Brown is the offensive coordinator, but he's not a play caller. Like there are other things you could do behind the scenes and Scott Fitterer could remain in place, but not have that player personnel say, if you were to bring in one of these other guys, he could keep the position in name, but one of these guys like, could be the really, yeah, like Harbaugh show or whatever. I could see that happening. Cause Fitterer does kind of feel like a yes man for, uh, uh, for David Tepper. So um, real quick before I get you out of here, man, who do you want in the college football playoff? Just give me your four. Like, if you could just throw uh, away results and what you think is going to happen, knows who's the top four teams that you would want in the college football playoff to make it enjoyable for Josh Graham to watch? I can't give you four, but I'll give you three because I do think there are three teams that can win a national championship that I think have separated themselves from everybody else, and that is Michigan, Georgia, and Washington. I okay. think those are the best teams. I get it. Florida State's unbeaten as well. Obviously, Jordan Travis going down. Out of the one-loss teams, Alabama, they're flawed um, and have been. We saw that against Auburn where they needed a miracle in order to win. Ohio State, yeah, they have one loss and it's just to Michigan on the road. But, uh, you know, Carson, Mc I mean, people call um, Marvin Harrison Jr. Maserati Marv. Their, their quarterback might as well be named Honda McCord. <laughs> that guy, uh, he's, he's mid and he's been mid all year long. 
Um, so I don't want to watch them in the playoff. I don't want to watch Florida State. I don't want to watch Alabama. Yeah. Texas, I think if I had to pick out of that next group teams, I would like to see there. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them. Uh, maybe Oregon if you could get two Pac-12 teams, but I don't think that's likely to happen. So I'll, I'll include Texas. Texas being back, so to speak, in the college football playoff for the first time. Uh, along with those three top teams, having Texas there as the fourth, I think would be the most enjoyable playoff for me. I wouldn't be mad at that. I mean, you're leaving. You're, you'd be leaving Florida, an undefeated potentially Florida State and ACC. Oh no, no, they're in. They're in. They're in. Win, but this, but this, again, this is who you would want to see, not what's going to actually happen. So yeah, I want Louisville to win on Saturday. That's what I want. <laughs> you want chaos? Go, Car go <laughs> Cardinals. Yeah. Go Cardinals. Go follow them on Twitter uh, at Josh Graham Show, um, and go listen to the drive three to six p.m. Uh, here in the Triad on WSJS. Um, Y'all are familiar with it. Uh, Josh Graham, appreciate you, man. Thanks, Des. Uh, coming up, we've got the host from the Cat Cave coming in. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Carolina Panthers, and we'll talk a little WWE, too. You're listening to Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. All right, Des.